Hey everyone, this is Caleb Mason, and I'm so grateful that you've decided to spend a few minutes today here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. And we do three things here on the Learner's Corner. We create a safe place to have difficult conversations. We learn from anyone and from everyone, and we learn from anything and from everything. And today I'm honored to be joined by Albert Tate. And one of the things that we're going to talk a lot about is his book, How We Love Matters. And we're going to get into a lot of other stuff too. And and the subtitle is A Call to Practice Relentless Racial Reconciliation. We're also going to get into, uh, he he for for a long time now, really uh, for kind of the past two years, has been creating daily content as well. And so we're going to talk about that and some of the keys um, that has helped him in that. But uh, today we're going to hit on, you know, one of the things of creating a safe place to have uh, difficult conversations. And, you know, uh, especially here in uh, America, you know, where, where I live in, in, in the United States, um, whenever you talk about uh, racial reconciliation, or you talk about race or racism or diversity or anything, that can create some difficult conversations depending on who you're talking with. And so, that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to dive uh, a lot into that. Let me tell you a little bit about Albert. And then I'm going to tell you about uh, why I'm so excited to bring this conversation to you today and why uh, I uh, you know, decided to bring Albert on the podcast today. So let me tell you a little bit about Albert Tate. So Albert is a pastor, public speaker, podcast host, and Mississippi native who accepted a call to ministry at 21 years old and he began uh uh you know pastoring a few families in sweet home church in mississippi before moving to serve at the historic lake avenue church in pasadena california and then hearing the call from god to plant a church albert and his wife la rosa launched fellowship monrovia in january 2012 and its short history this gospel-centered multi-ethnic intergenerational church has already established a solid foothold in the region for transformation to the glory and honor of christ albert is passionate about sharing the gospel of jesus christ both to the local church and the global community blending the power of storytelling with a good sense of humor he also enjoys illustrating god's amazing grace and love in the church academic and conference settings He also serves on the board of trustees at uh, Azusa Pacific University, the Museum for the Bible in Washington, D.C., the Global Leadership Summit, and uh, several other organizations. He has also recently published in Letters to a Birmingham Jail, a response to the words and dreams of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and in 2012 launched Good News Today, which is his... uh, program and video uh, that he does every single week. And we're going to talk about that here in just a second. But here's uh, a couple of reasons why I was so excited uh, to bring him on. One, because of the good news thing and just daily creating this content. And second thing is I absolutely love how he frames uh, this conversation of racial reconciliation. And he talks about the importance of uh, including love in this conversation. And yeah, 
And so I'm excited to bring that here to you in just a minute. However, if this does happen to be your first time listening to the podcast or whether or not you've been listening for a long time, uh, I would love to hear from you. Whether or not you uh, have been, as I guess, you know, I already said that, you know, listening for a while or whatever. Um, if you have something or someone or something that you would love discussed on the podcast, I would love to hear from you or just things that you're learning about as well. The best way to reach out to me is Learners Corner Podcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying this, you know, subscribe to my newsletter, which I have uh, in the show notes, and you're going to get sent you know, some of the best stuff that I'm learning from as well. And yeah, that's all that I have. And so let's jump into my conversation with Albert Tate. Albert, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Oh, man. I, I am peacock proud and hyena happy to be here, as I would say <laughs> yeah. down south. Yes. Yeah. And and just on that, uh, one of the things that I uh, was really looking forward to talking with you about, in addition to you know your book, How We Love Matters, is uh, you, know, you have good news today yeah. as well, which you started in COVID, which I, like, I remember seeing it during COVID and then, you know, just in the last, you know, few days i saw you're still doing it yeah yeah. and and i would just love your thoughts on like you know why why are you still doing it like two years later yeah like some people have dropped like well they would have dropped it but you're still doing it tell me about that beginning of COVID, the lord impressed upon my heart to wake up early in the morning and do a daily devotional now that's already the lord because early in the morning is not something that he and I do. That had not been a part of our relationship. Um, But man, people were, it was a crazy time. So we would get online, it'd be eight o'clock West Coast time, 10 o'clock other parts of the country, 11 o'clock other parts of the country. And I just get on man and just encourage, uh, we'd encourage each other. Um, uh, There's a a, a tagline that we have, everything's gonna be okay. Uh, I had a theme song called Good News Today because I had like a little radio show back in the day. So I pulled that theme song and made it a whole thing. And bro, people started sitting around what I call the family table. I'd get up and sit at breakfast. And then you had Ahmaud Arbery happen, uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. So you got these moments of great racial tension and I just talked about them and it flowed. So we talk about God, we talk about the scriptures and we talk about some of the things that were happening during the day. And bro, I mean, we looked up and had thousands of people watching and tracking and following along and sharing. We had one video that shared over a hundred thousand times. So it became a thing and low key, I do have like a a, a, a low key desire to be like Oprah one day. You know what I mean? Like, so, I, so it gave me an opportunity to get my Oprah Winfrey on. Mm-hmm. So man, and we just didn't stop. So the Lord just kind of, kept providing the space. And of course, as people went back to work and stuff, we weren't seeing as many numbers, but it's still a substantial folks amount of folks that'll tune in live or just watch it throughout the week. People were hungry for engagement in God's word. So we, we're just doing it. Yeah. And you're doing it like pretty much every weekday. Yeah. Too. So like, like four, we're down with like four days a week, unless I travel, yeah. then I'm out. But yeah, we've done hundreds of shows. Yeah. Literally hundreds of shows. Yeah, and and they're not like short too. They're like half hour. Yeah, they're long. like they're like thirty minutes. When I was first starting, yeah. boy, I was going like forty five minutes to an hour. It was crazy. It was it was crazy. So yeah. we, we still don't have a lot of 
like I still hadn't even put intentionality behind it or just, I just get up in the morning and just flow and just talk. Mm. Um, and the Lord just meets us. And yo, there have been testimonies coming out of this time that would just blow your mind. Uh, yeah. So that's been really profound. Yeah. Talk, talk to me about that because like, it's not like that's the only thing that you're doing. Like you're still coming up with sermons and messages and everything. And like, just to do that is like enough content. And then to do this, like how, how are you like, how are you doing that? Like, how are you keeping like the well, like fresh and stuff and still putting out all that stuff, bro. You just went into COVID mode and I was just crisis. I didn't even figure it out. I'm just now starting to think about, all right, what am I going to do? I should, I could actually plan my my sessions for the mornings. Like I'm just getting there. I just get up yeah. there and I just go off. I'm freestyling off the top of the dome. Like I'm in the eighth grade in the cafeteria rapping battles. Um, but what I've started doing though, usually I, so I did do, I wrote that sermon for Sunday. So Monday, Tuesday, let me just pull excerpts from what I talked about and I'll pull themes from the sermon on Sunday and then just kind of flow and just kind of go where the Lord leads. But it is getting to the point to where I, I probably should get some kind of structure. Like Craig Rochelle would look at my life and say, boy, what are you doing? Put some, put some structure around it. So I, I probably need to put a system around, but right now, bro, it's still fun. It's still very organic and we're just, we're just having a good time. No, and I think that's the cool thing too, because you're saying, hey, it is not that structured and yet it is still working for you and that's okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if Craig, I don't know what Craig would say. He's he's the most <laughs> structured guy I know. So it'll be good, but it's it's been fun, bro. And it's been a blessing. Uh, and, and, and if I'm really honest, it's been a blessing to me um, because maybe I should have been getting up all those years and spending time with the Lord. Now I do. Uh, and I just do it with a couple of hundred other people. So it's been a real blessing to gather together and spend time and start my day with good news. Mm, yeah. Is there any, I mean, you mentioned the blessing to you that you're getting out of it. Is there anything else that stands out? Like, man, I'm so glad because doing, doing good news has helped me learn about, you know, X thing. Oh, well it's, it's helped me to articulate my heart and my passions, about different things. And it's given me an opportunity to meet and collaborate with some great people that are doing great things. And I think we're just getting started with how to leverage that and how to pull that together. But I think the book, How We Love Matters was birthed on Good News Today. You can see me literally in real time, organically wrestling with the burdens of racism, wrestling with the burdens of racial reconciliation. And out of that crucible, you just like, I'm on there tearing, snotting on different episodes. Yeah. You just see me wrestling through it in real time. And that's where the burden of the book was actually birthed. So I, in many ways, I say good news today. I had a, I had a two book deal. I had another book that I had that I had framed up that I was planning to release. That was going to be my first book. It'll now be my second book. How We Love Matters was just so fresh that the Lord just said, hey, push that to the front of the line. Mm, yeah. Take me, take me back to that of like what kind of like what that looked like for you of going like, yeah, this is the book that I need to write instead of the other one. Well, it was just so fresh and the burden was so there and the conversation I just thought was missing. I feel like there are a lot of conversations on race. There are a lot of conversations and dynamics on it, but not enough, not enough about love. Uh, see, the big, the big idea is that racial reconciliation is the application, but love is the revelation. 
And if you try to walk in the application without the revelation, you will you you're just gonna miss it. You you have misappropriation just to keep just, just to throw another Asian word in there. Um, but it's gotta be about love and not enough people are talking about love and what love really is, especially for those of us who name the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, love is not ambiguous. Love is not <laughs> love is not Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You know, the rock is just ambiguous. You don't know what the rock is. Is he Asian? Is he Latino? Is he black? Is he Filipino? Is he Samoan? What is what is he? I don't know what he is. Love is not ambiguous like The Rock. Love is more like Chris Rock. We know exactly who Chris Rock is. Chris Rock is black. We ain't nobody looking at Chris saying, huh, I wonder what ethnicity Chris is. No, we know he's black. Love is like that. Love's, love is not ambiguous. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is not self-seeking. Love does not hold long accounts according to other people. Love 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 is humble love seeks to serve others above itself like we know exactly what love is so why are we not seeing that so that burden said all right i want to speak i want to i want to say something um and that's how how love how we love matters kind of got its genesis yeah talk to me more about like from your perspective why love is not like more involved in the conversation uh, as it pertains to, you know, racism, diversity, you know, all, all of that stuff. Well, love, when, when we really talk about love, it's easier to talk about other things because it doesn't require any self-examination. Like for me to be offended or to give my opinion or to be defensive, that doesn't require me to examine myself at all. So those are, e those are easy postures to grab in culture. When we start talking about loving one another the way God calls us to love one another, shoot, that's a lot of work. That's expensive. That's going to cost me something. And I'd much rather have a life that's marked with Christianity, but also, but, but at the same time, drenched in comfort. So I want Christian comfort. I don't want Christian uh, challenge or to be stretched. Um, but that's why we got to be reminded that God hasn't called us to comfort. He's called us to kingdom. Um, so when you start talking about love and loving one another well, there's no way you get through that conversation without having to examine your own heart, your own intentions, your own unforgiveness, your own self-righteousness. That's why we don't talk about it, because nobody wants to volunteer for that level of self-examine. But that's what God calls us to. And I pray that this would be like a wind to a flame saying, Lord, may we seek more loving one another than being critical and, and, and ridiculing one another. Yeah, that that gets me thinking of uh, the the study from uh, from Corey Edwards that you referenced so many you know throughout yeah. the book, and I've heard you talk about it a lot. Yeah, um, where uh, I, I'll let you explain the study. Well, it's you know it irritates the mess out of me. I wish you wouldn't have done it because it's so it's so freaking convicting. Dr. Corey yeah. Edwards, a brilliant scholar, did research and she just said, let me see what this multi-ethnic church, let me let me look under the hood of it and, and let's see its, its efficacy. Let's see how well it is, how well it's doing. Um, and man, out of thorough, high-level academic research, she discovers that, simply put, the multi-ethnic church is only as diverse as whites are comfortable. So in other words, she says from her research, when white people get uncomfortable, 
they leave the proverbial family table and the diversity stops. So either two options, either they leave or they stay and they silence the mission and the vision or they limit it or they squelch the, the, the vision for multi-ethnicity. So she's just saying our white siblings can't handle the conversation. Um, and when the conversation gets beyond what they're comfortable with, multi-ethnic church stops. Yeah, and, and what it made me think about is tying back to what you said about love in that, because it's it, it just makes me think of, we choose our own comfort instead of what's loving to other people. Um, yeah. and, and I was just curious your thoughts on, like for you, like how, like how have you learned to like live in those spaces to where, I mean, like people, people choose their own comfort instead of like love, like loving you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm still learning I even with my wife practicing empathy. Uh, my therapist, our therapist said the other day, um, Albert, I'm, tr I, I want to help you sit in LaRosa's pain and suffering. That's that's my wife, LaRosa. I want, I'm, I'm trying to help you sit in her pain. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't wanna sit in her pain. Who wanna sit in that? I don't even want her sitting in her pain. The goal of this moment is for us to both get out of this thing unscathed. Like, I ain't trying to, who wants to sit in suffering? No, I wanna sit on the couch with a pillow. You know what I mean? So. It's, it's hard for me. It takes a practice and it, and it takes a value because in my ignorance, what I'm learning is that it is through empathy um, that unlocks intimacy. It, it is empathy that unlocks a connection. And the goal isn't to get out of the pain. The goal is to know that I'm not alone in the pain. And once I see that, which my therapist knew, that's why she was inviting me to sit there. She's like, Albert, you're frustrated because you want to connect with your wife more. The key to connection is empathy. I almost said, you, I wish you would have told me that to begin with. And I could have saved some time. You know what I mean? But I, I think, I, so it takes a lot of practice with, with my white siblings and Latino, Asian brothers and sisters doing life with people that don't look like me, live like me, or vote like you. Oh, to intentionally position yourself to be minority, to position, to intentionally position yourself to be in a system that you're not familiar with, but be forced to learn how to love otherness, love things that don't feel familiar to you, I think is the posture and the disposition of the believer. And that's where Jesus Christ calls us to live, but it is the place that we are most likely to resist. I mean, be defensive. I don't want to go there, come up with all reasons not to be there. But I think that's what God is calling us to be. Hmm. What have you found, like whenever you find yourself dealing with that, un the unfamiliar, the other, that, uh, and that defensiveness starts to yeah. rise up, what is, what has helped you like move past that defensiveness or even like, even become more aware of your own defensiveness? Yeah. I just sing the song, Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. I, I need the Holy Spirit to activate because once you read that description of what love is in 1 Corinthians 13, man, shoot, there's no way I'm pulling that off. There's no way, I, I'm done, I'm out. So it, it's gotta be the working of the spirit. So recognizing that if you're in a conversation and you feel yourself being defensive and you feel yourself being, being irritated, that should be a sign to you that this is an opportunity this is an opportunity 
for you to learn something. There's a there's a reason why you have such a strong desire to defend yourself. Resist the desire to express your defense and accept the invitation to sit and listen and to hear something that may be foreign, but on the other side of it, it may bless you. There's an opportunity. And this person is inviting you to hear something that you that you hadn't heard a lot of. And there may be a reason why you hadn't heard a lot of it. So it's really a gift. They're giving you a gift by expressing a perspective that's so different from you. How might you use this as an opportunity to love, listen, and learn? Yeah. As you were talking earlier and you were talking about empathy, one of the things that came to mind that you talk about in the book is you have this statement in there that uh, particularly, you know, after, um, you know, maybe maybe an incident of police violence happens or, um, you know, a black yeah. man is killed in America. You have this statement and, and I hadn't thought about it this way until you said it, but we are at a funeral. This is not the time for that conversation. Can you unpack that? Because like that, like I said, that was such like, that's going to be one of my biggest takeaways from reading the book. Wow. Wow. Bro. As a, as a, as a community, it's, um, it's like compounded interest. When a racial upheaval happens, we're not just feeling George Floyd, but we're feeling, man, we're feeling Emmett Till. We're feeling a litany of injustices that we've experienced, we're filling our own story with police and all that. I mean, it doesn't mean anything that we hate police. Black folks, let me tell you something. We got more uncles and aunties and daddies and granddaddies on the police force. Most of our granddads served in the military, fought in Vietnam. My dad fought in Vietnam, got his Purple Heart. So when you talk about patriots, yo, our folks serve this country. We, have, we are service people. A lot of folks in the police force and that kind of stuff. Um, so that, cause that's easy to kind of go there and say, this is against the police. No, it's really not. Well, my uncle's a police officer. We got cousins in the military. That, that's, that's very normalized. So we've gotten the respect and appreciation for that. What happens is, man, it exposes a wound and a hurt that goes beyond just the Floyd family locally there in Minneapolis. It, it, it speaks to all of us in a deep way where there's a deep mourning and grieving. Now imagine being at a funeral where you are mourning and grieving and having someone come in demanding before they can join you in your mourning some facts about how your son died. Like just imagine they say, your son died, you said in the obituary he died of COVID, but is that really how he died? And do, is there evidence? Can you show me the, the evidence that proved that he had COVID and he didn't have the vaccine? Then I'll come to the funeral and cry with you. The very idea of that is insane, is insane. Now, is that an appropriate question to ask at some point for clarity? Yeah. And would the, would the mother even care about talking about it? Probably not. Like in two or three months, she would probably sit down and say, yeah, this is how he died and this is what happened, such and such. That, so, so it's not like this conversation can't happen. This conversation just should not happen right now in the comments. I, I wrote a comment about Asian hate uh, when that when that uh, massage parlor got shot up mm -hmm. and, and equate, equated it to Asian hate. And somebody came in a comment saying, well, Albert, is there evidence that it was Asian hate? This isn't a moment for evidence. This is an opportunity for empathy. Mm -hmm. 
This isn't a moment for more information. This is a moment for empathy. You wouldn't show up to a funeral asking those kind of questions. Right now, we're at a proverbial cultural funeral, and we're bereaved. We're grieving. So a way to support us in the comments, because that's where the crisis comes. That's when you get people just going to blows, because you got contrarians in the comments saying, well, what about this? Well, they didn't do that. Or you just hate it. It's like, yo, yo. We can have that conversation, but you're being so unloving right now. You're missing an opportunity to show love in a way that might draw me to you in, a, in your witness of who Christ is. I might be drawn to you because of the way you love me in these comments right now, but because you're coming in trying to litigate this case in the comments, oh, you're not loving me well as your brother. You're just not loving me well. Talk to me about that because like you even, um... Like I, I think of just grief and, and mourning itself as, as a society and even as the church, we tend not to do well with comforting people in grief and mourning in society. And then, you know, the racial injustice or something like that happens. Like talk to me about what does it look like to su like to support people who are who are grieving yeah. and who are mourning? Yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I'm learning about empathy um which is a key key piece to love if you're not if you're if you're thinking you're loving well and you're not empathizing well then there's no way you're loving well um the very nature of our salvation is based off of one of the most empathetic moves that has ever happened in humanity god himself climbed down into time and space through jesus christ so that he might become emmanuel god with us put on flesh and dwelt among us friends that is the epitome of empathy so the incarnation is jesus's is god's attempt through jesus to deeply empathize with us so that he might love us well so before we do anything else love requires empathy first so when crisis hits that's racially motivated when there are racial tensions especially my white siblings what does it mean to show up for your brothers and sisters who are minorities with no fixing with no request for explanation with a very minimal amount of your own personal accessible understanding to their actual burden watch this one this will freak you out what what if you show up with no fixing, none of that, but not even agreement? Mm -hmm. Empathy doesn't even require agreement. Do you know how many times Jesus has empathized with us over stuff that was just dumb that he didn't even believe in? Like he don't even he don't, he like I don't even agree with what you're crying about. But I'm right here with you so I can be here with you because he knows that's a part of our humanity is the desire to be. Here. So to, to, to my siblings who are seeking to love someone that would be very different, even if you don't agree with them theologically, physio, physio, uh, physiologically, sociologically, historically, I don't think that's how it went down in history. I don't think empathy says you can't bring any of that. You got to leave all that in the car. Empathy is like a TSA guard that says you can't bring anything in but yourself and your heart. That's all you can bring. And empathy means you just sit and you just be so that not for one second, your brothers and sisters will feel like they had to navigate this by themselves. You were sitting right there. So I think in the next time there's a crisis or something, instead of your questions in the comments, 
or instead of trying to get people to try to explain and be your teacher, just say, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. And I just want to be here as your friend and just to say, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. Yeah. You've, you've mentioned empathy a couple of times. What else are you learning about empathy? Um, empathy is, is not an opportunity to fix. So it's not about fixing. It's not about agreeing. Uh, empathy is just about uh, being and showing up and being present and just blown away at how Jesus chose to love us with empathy. And the believer's love should be marked by empathy. And at the same time, it should also be marked by sacrifice. Empathy is expensive. Empathy is expensive. It's gonna cost you something. It's, it's gonna be cost you something to sit, to sit there and be empathizing with Sheila, who is brokenhearted because she just got dumped by Robert. But you told Sheila that Robert was an idiot six months ago and that you should never even talk to Robert. So now Sheila's Robert, Robert, I can't believe he did this. And you sitting there thinking to yourself, I can believe he did it because I told you he was gonna do it. Empathy says, shut up. Don't say none of that. Don't say none of that. Empathy doesn't require your strength or I told you so's. Empathy requires your weakness, your surrender, your sacrifice and allowing Jesus to be your strength, allowing Jesus to keep you in a place of love and not entitlement, not in defense, all that. So in order to stay in the seat of empathy, you need a big old cross across your lap, reminding you of how gracious Jesus has been to us. And that's the, that's the same level of grace we need to extend to our brothers and sisters who are going through a very hard time. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've heard you uh, talk about a lot is this phrase called a uh, disciple out racism. And so yeah. like, I know that you've, uh, I think it was a course or it was a class or something like that, that you yeah. had for yeah. that. Um, I, and that's like, that's something that I, like I think about too. And like my role, you know, at the, at the church and stuff, I would be curious your thoughts on like, for someone who's like, like me, who's trying to figure that out. What is like a, Hey, these, these are a couple of things that you can, um, like you can strategically like put in like your discipleship plan to do that. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think we got to start looking at it differently. Um, we have to look at racial reconciliation as spiritual formation. It's not, it's not bifurcated out. It's not an extracurricular course. It's like here's spiritual formation. And if you get a chance, you should look at some up. You could look some up about race. No, no, no. The whole construct of Christianity, whether you start with how Jesus wants us to live and how God wants us to live with the 10 commandments, the first half are about your relationship with God. The second half about your relationship with one another. Like, like he cares very deeply. You go on to the gospels. He says, yo, here's, here's, here's what it means to be a follower of Jesus summed up in two phrases. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the second one is just as great as the first. So, and he says, and all the prophets and laws sit on that. So you will just see this vertical, horizontal, my friends call it the cross-shaped gospel. You'll just see it showing up. So that should be incorporated in our discipleship, in our spiritual formation. As we grow people to maturity in Christ, it's like, this is what it means to be a strong vertical believer. And at the same time, in order to be a strong vertical believer, that then impacts your ability to be a strong horizontal believer. He talks a lot about neighbor love and enemy love. So here's how you love your enemies. We are we are extra mile people. We don't just go one mile out of requirement. We look at the Roman soldier who was oppressive 
who has forced me by law to carry his pack a whole mile, which is heavy. Jesus says, as you get to the lap, to that first mile, to the end of that first mile, breathing all heavy, uh, uh, look at the Roman soldier and say, dear sir, it would be my joy to carry your packet a second mile. I, because we are extra mile people. Reggie Joyner says that like this, the first, the first mile is the fulfillment of a requirement. The second mile is an opportunity for a transformation of relationship. It's that kind of training that we give in our discipleship and how we see the other and how we intentionally give this biblical vision of Romans, Revelation chapter seven, verse nine, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every race. Here's the deal, Caleb. If we gonna stand around his throne for eternity, we ought to be able to sit at his table for today. How do we begin to practice that? That needs to be our spiritual formation. That needs to be how we talk about growing to maturity in Christ. So those are some ways that I've tried to integrate the conversation and not make it some elective, some extracurricular class, but make it a part of our core curriculum to make sure that we are loving one another well. And we cannot do that without having a conversation about racial reconciliation. Yeah. Uh, another thing that you talk about in the book, which very, like it, it raised my curiosity a lot is you talk about growing up in Mississippi. In fact, I think that's called one of the chapters, Dear Mississippi. Um, yeah. And I would love to hear, um, because like you, you don't pull any punches on like the, um, on the history of, of Mississippi too. And yet, you, yeah. and yet yeah. in the very same thing you say, growing up in Mississippi very much shaped you. I, I would love your thoughts on how has it shaped you and balancing the tension of like coming coming from a place that doesn't have like a great reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Mississippi, uh, I, I mean, it's hands down just one of the greatest places in the world. Um, it, the, the hospitality, uh, a friend of mine from California, I took him to Mississippi. It was one of his first times being in Mississippi. And after being there for probably about five or six hours, he looked at me and he said, I, I can tell the difference. I said, what do you mean? He's like, man, I've had over 25 people say hello to me already. Like people are paying attention. People are saying hello. So there's a level of kindness, uh, intentionality with hospitality. Um, there's a slower pace, with, which provides an opportunity to sit more deeply in community. Um, and then the rich heritage, especially of the black community, my black family, my ancestors, the black church and how it shaped me, absolutely profound. While at the same time, uh, there are things that are in Mississippi that I feel are the worst, some of the worst in the world. Um, some of the dynamics that were worse, but also just to be honest, coming to California, you would think, oh, California is so progressive, it's not racist. Yeah, racist, racism is here. And I'd say it's almost just as bad. It just look, it just puts on different outfits. It just dresses differently. California, Pasadena is home to one of the uh, most private, most private schools per capita in the country. I think second to Washington, DC. Well, you think, well, that ain't got nothing to do with race. Yeah, it does. You know when they started? When they were forced to uh, segregate, to desegregate the schools. So the Christians response to having to desegregate schools 
was like, uh-uh, not on my way. I ain't about to have my kids in school with you. So they started a plethora of private schools and priced out minorities so their kids can stay in an uncompromised environment from their homogeneity. So you look at that and you think, wow, that like that's really racist. Like you started a whole school and paid extra money just to keep your kids. So you've got those kinds of systems around um, that you that you just gotta learn to look at and pay attention to housing, redlining, where people are able to live, where they're able to purchase homes. All of that stuff is embedded in the history of California, just as it is in Mississippi. So from Mississippi, from the west side to the east side, we've got work to do. But that that, that doesn't that doesn't cause me to miss the blessings that were right there in the midst of it. It was also something very beautiful that God's hand was in. And isn't that just like God? In the midst of very hard and difficult things, he paints some very beautiful, life-transformative pictures and images that shape us. Yeah, and it even gets me thinking about, like we, you know, I think whenever we, we have a difficult time or, or a really hard time in a place, we do think like there is some perfect place that does not have, and it is, it's heaven, but it's not here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it ain't here, Jack, it ain't here. Uh, um, Someone that I wanted to uh, ask you about, because again, just just throughout the um, throughout the book, I could tell that this guy had a big influence on you. So I wanted to ask you about Dr. Ralph Watkins, and oh, yeah. Yeah. and his influence on you, you know, in in school and growing up, and how um, just how he shaped you. So Dr. Ralph Watkins was my professor at Fuller, and he was just one of the most passionate effective communicators I'd ever been in a classroom. I have a, I just, I, I flunked out of high school, had to get my GED. So I just don't like school. I'm, I'm not a, a, a intellectual. I'm not a theologian. At least those are the lies that I tell myself. Um, so when I got in class, he made, he made study come alive. He made academics come alive in a way that no one ever had. And and I was reading the content because if you didn't, he would call you out in class. And and I was writing, but I was writing. He get, he gave me permission to write and be creative uh, in a way that I hadn't been set at liberty to do in previous uh, classes and courses. So he he had a profound impact on my life when I think of how to leverage a classroom and how to teach and how to communicate and how to bring a community of learners together that are inspired. He would rally us together as students and we would leave inspired. And, and he was just coming alive. He'd be talking 20 miles a minute. He's, he's pretty phenomenal. Now, do you know Dr. Ralph no, Watkins at all? I, okay. I don't. I, I, yeah. I love it. Or go ahead. No, he's out in Georgia. I think at uh, Columbia, Columbus, Columbus uh, School, I believe. But he's um he's he's a phenomenal professor. He's not in California anymore, but he's out in, in in Atlanta now. Yeah, I I love hearing like especially like I could tell through the book that he had a big influence on you, and I yeah. love I love learning about other people's who who helped make other people um and everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Were you gonna say something? No, 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 no. Doctor Rock, Doctor Watkins was just the best. So he he was great. Yeah. Um. One one of the things, and then again, there may not be much there but i am curious is one of the things that you said that he talked about is uh fusing theology and hip-hop with it. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would just love your thoughts on like what how he did that and what you took away from that 
Oh yeah, so it was a class that we took called Theology and Hip Hop. And he took Tupac's album, hmm, I wanna say it was, uh, or a project called Black Jesus, but we would just dissect the journey of hip hop um, and look at uh, the redemptive movements and the redemptive work of God moving in the midst of that. So a, a people of hardship, uh, a movement birthed out of pain, mm. a, a movement birthed out of struggle. Can you see themes of God in the midst of that? Does that resonate with God and God's people? So you immediately look at the, the, the people of Exodus in their plight for freedom and breaking free. Um, don't push me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. It's like a wonder sometimes it keeps me, it's, uh, it's like a wonder sometimes how I keep from, it's something, how I keep from yeah. going under. Um, he, they're, they're, listen to it. I mean, it's, it's, it's hip hop, it's a rap song. Don't push me because I'm close to the edge. Hey, I'm trying not to lose my head. Ha 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 ha. It's like I wonder sometimes, I keep wondering how I keep going up. You know what I mean? I can't get that last line yeah. right. But you, you, you jam into it, but do, you, but, but do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, yo, I'm close to the edge. I'm, I'm about to lose it. It's, 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 it's like a wonder uh, how I keep from going under. Uh, how am I staying afloat? How am I surviving? Um, and what does God have to say about my disposition, about my community and the plight of my community? So that's bringing theology into the narratives of hip hop and intertwining so that we might be great car carriers of this message as we go into a world that's hugely marked by hip hop. So we, we would dig into stuff like that, man. No, oh, I love it. Uh, the the other thing is that you that you briefly mentioned is um, you learned from him about how Africa shaped Christianity, and that's not something that um, at least I I, I've, I haven't spent a lot of time learning about that. I would just be curious to hear what you've learned about that. Oh, bro! Well, you you discover how many of the church fathers were actually black men, mm -hmm. and how the gospel went to Ethiopia before it came to Europe. A lot of times we think that. Um, that these folks came from Africa, came to America and got introduced to Christianity here in America when Christianity was already shaping Africa at a very high, high level before any person was enslaved and forced to stand on the ground here in America. So, but th that stuff just wasn't taught to me. Yeah. That framework just wasn't given. Seeing black church fathers just wasn't imagery that was shaping me. So when we look at history, Thomas Oden did a great work, who was a white theologian, who in his book repents for his lack of articulation of Africa's impact on Christianity. And he wrote a whole book on how Africa shaped Christianity. And he encouraged his contemporaries, his peers, yo, let's tell the better, let's tell the fuller story of what actually happened because it makes a huge difference to the pupils and the students that are coming up that we're being trained that we're training under mm, yeah uh one of one of the quotes that i uh saw on your website that really stood out to me uh, that i wanted to ask you about is you know you say on there as christians we go to the place people try to avoid and we've ta we've talked one about one like a big area today i would be curious on your thoughts of like what are you seeing or thinking about that it's like man 
this is somewhere that as followers of Jesus that we need to be running to. Um, and maybe you're just like, man, I don't see us moving that fast. <laughs> there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the whole world is trying to figure out how do people come together? How do people come together? Christians, we should be the first in line to say, uh, we know. We know, we know how to come together. We know how to come together because the gospel brings us together and it, it brings us into something that's greater than ourselves. Christians should know how to, how do, you, how do you love difficult people? Christians should be running to the front of the line saying, oh, we know how to do that really well. We love people. How do, what about the marginalized in our country? Uh, people that don't have health care, people that are without homes, people that are without food. Christians should run to the front of the line and say, oh, hey, 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 we got that. We got that. We know how to do that. Because a part of how God has called us to love is that's a big priority. Foster care systems, broken broken homes and systems in foster care uh, where, where kids don't have homes. Christians should be front line running. Hey, 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 no, 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 we got it. Let, let's show you how to do that because we got that. We got that dial. We run to the front of the line to the abortion protests, but we don't run to the front of the line of the foster care adoption process. We should be running to the front of those lines. LGBTQ friends who theologically, historically, from an orthodox position, we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. I know many Christians disagree with that. They've taken a different view of the historical biblical view of scripture. But for those of us that hold that view, um, we should still be running to the front of the line where young, young queer, gay, lesbian, boys and girls are being devastated by the burden of having to carry understanding their sexuality and then communicating what their sexuality is and then getting empathy and not hate so much so that the suicide rates are just are just staggering for for trans brothers and sisters who are navigating their sexuality and finding no home in one body or but not Oh my goodness, you wanna talk about empathizing. We should be able to empathize with our brothers and sisters in that community and show compassion, even though we don't share convictions. And I feel like that's a nuance that's lost on both sides of that argument. No one, we don't share, they don't share our convictions and we don't share theirs, but, but we could still share compassion. Like love is still in order of the day. Yeah. So I feel like those are some areas in culture where there's a a lot of pain that I feel like in Jesus' name, we ought to be running to the front of the line and saying, how can we more above and beyond just our convictions, how can we disseminate our compassions? Yeah. Uh, is there is there anything else that is, you know, capturing your attention or things that you're thinking about or wanting to learn more about or that has captured your imagination? I know we've talked a lot about empathy. Is there anything else that's like top of mind, like, man, I'm really trying to figure this out or thinking about this right now or learning about it? Well, I think it's just all just how to love well. I think empathy is a big piece. I think justice is a big piece of that. And grace is a big piece of that. Mm. Um, because if we try to do th this work without having grace for one another, we're never going to survive. I've got to have grace for my white brothers to say something that's potentially offensive or racist and me not feel like now I got to label them. And they've got to have grace for me to be able to say hard things and not be all defensive and trying to prove that they're not a race. We got to have grace for one another. Somebody's going to say something stupid. Somebody's going to say something dumb and somebody's going to get offended. Um, but here's the thing, man. The worst thing that could happen to us is not that we'd be offended. The worst thing that could happen to us is we not be obedient to God's call for how we love one another. Um, and 
and above being offended or expressing my opinion or being defensive, I really want to be obedient and I really want to try my best to love well. And like I said earlier, there's no way I'm going to be able to pull that off in my own power. This is a Holy Spirit activate yeah. that we got to have the Holy Spirit to be able to pull that off. Yeah. You, you briefly mentioned justice. Talk about justice as a form of love too. Well, at the end of the day, you want to talk about what Jesus does. The gospel is the good news because he has come to set the prisoner free because he's come to set uh, set free those who are oppressed. So the very nature of the gospel is just not my soul salvation, but it is the salvation and the restoration and the redemption of the whole. The culmination of that will happen when we see it face to face. Between now and then though, he wants us to go toe to toe in the injustices that we see, we are to call them out. We are to, to, to love mercy, walk justly, uh, walk humbly and pursue justice with one another. He could have just said, just walk with me in, in everything else. No, he says, he said, love, mercy, and pursue justice. We got to pursue justice. So a part of Jesus coming is an act of restorative justice. And those of us that have now been blood washed are called to go and love in a way that restores justice to our brothers and sisters. So where that's happening to people personally, but it's also where there are systems that have been now systematized for injustice in sin, we call all of those out. The big mistake that we make, bro, is we allow the blood on the cross to silence the blood on the ground. Mm -hmm. And God says, yo, the blood on the cross is now applied to us so that we might now go apply that to the blood that's on the ground, Genesis, where, uh, Abel's blood is crying from the ground saying, did you be in, in God says, y'all don't hear that. You don't, you don't hear that injustice. That's an injustice crying from the ground. So as injustice cries out from the soil of America, it is us for we who have been blood bought, blood washed to go and apply that redemptive, restorative justice blood to those areas of injustice in our communities. Mm. Well, I know that we've covered so much. Is there is there anything that we haven't mentioned that is just top of mind that you want to make sure uh, that we talk about or say? Just go buy three three to seven hundred copies of this book, <laughs> so we can get on New York Times bestseller list. Now, the biggest goal for the book is not that, although that would be cool. Uh, the biggest goal is that um, that we pack heaven because we learn how to love one another better. And that we as siblings, as brothers and sisters, would make our daddy proud. That he'd look at how we love one another and be like, now look at now them, my kids. Look at how well they love one another. That's my hope for the book, is that we learn how to love better. Yeah. Well, I know that people are going to want to get the book and keep up with you. Where's the best place for people to go to do those things? So albertate.com, uh, all things for the book and ministry and all the things we got going on is right there. So you go to albertate.com and on all the social media outlets, uh, I'm Albert Tate. I'm, I'm, I'm even on TikTok. I'm, I don't be twerking on there, but I'm on there. Uh, so you can see me on TikTok uh, as well. But it's Albert Tate. Look me up. I'd love to connect with you guys. Awesome. Well, Albert, thanks so much for being on the podcast and thanks for doing the work. Caleb, you're the man, bro. Thank you so much. So coming out of that conversation with Albert, I think there's really uh, two big takeaways 
from me in that. And the first one is this, is just his, um, his commitment to empathy and to, uh, and to gaining empathy through listening as well. You know, that he just kept coming back to it over and over and over again. And I think especially in conversations like, uh, you know, around race and, and racism, um, it's incredibly important to have empathy and to be focused on uh, listening to the person that you're dialoguing with as well. And I think that's just a good tool to have whenever it comes to any difficult conversation of how can we be more empathetic in that? How can we be, um, how can we become a better listener as well to the person who is, who we're engaging in this dialogue with? And I think the second thing is the the study to which he's referenced a few times, um, you know, that I, or at least I've heard him talk about before in uh, in that of Corey Edwards, to where she had uh, discovered that uh, whenever multi-ethnic spaces of faith uh, were created, they were only as diverse and progressive as the comfort of the white members, and and. I remember hearing that for the first time and just be very, uh, and being very bothered by that and in realizing that, um, I have the power to not participate in conversations that other people do not have that luxury of doing and that I don't have to do that. And that's true as it pertains to what we've been talking about in this episode today. And that pertains to, um, like that can pertain to a lot of different areas as well. And so I think it's, it's just forced me and is, and is forcing me to think through, okay, where, where do I not have, where in my life am I able to tap out? of certain conversations because of and again I'm, I guess I'm still trying to formulate you know my complete thoughts on this but where am I able to tap out of conversations because of who I am or maybe because of um, you know maybe my my gender or my skin color or or whatever whatever that thing is what what allows me or where am I where am I able to tap out of these conversations where do I not have to engage in some of these difficult conversations and so yeah I think that's just been forcing me to or it's forcing me to kind of take a maybe a little bit of an uh, an inventory on where where that is the case for me and how can I not let my uh how can I not let my discomfort how can I not let my uh, uncomfortability get in the way of of unity and of pursuing um yeah and of pursuing unity and especially as as a follower of jesus like that's that's pretty important um for me because you know that's one of the things that jesus said you know hey may may we be unified as him and god and the father and the spirit are unified and so that's just some of the things that's got me thinking about I would love to hear your thoughts as well of kind of some of the things that you're thinking about um, from this episode or even just in general. 
and or if you have something that you would love us to talk about on the podcast again the best way to reach out to me is learners corner podcast at gmail.com if you enjoyed this episode you know leave a rating write a review subscribe follow the podcast as well uh if you want to keep learning from some of the things that i'm learning from you know subscribe to the newsletter which is in the podcast or which is in the episode show notes and yeah i think that's all that i have for today i want to say thanks to sam massey for providing the music for this podcast thanks to albert tate for being on the podcast thank you to listening all the way to the end of the episode and that's all that i got for today and so my name is caleb mason and until next time keep learning and keep growing.